And we're back. <laughs> yes, we are. Another episode of the Dre and Des podcast. What's going on, man? Uh, same old, same old, man. Slow motion, literally. Uh, <laughs> got a chance to uh, play some basketball yesterday. That was fun. You know, wore a mask. So I was kind of dying on the court. I couldn't, tell, <laughs> I couldn't tell if I was dying because I was just out of shape or I'm dying because I had on the mask. Um, and it was vapor in my breathing. Probably a mystery, too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, go ahead. My my thought is, uh, you know, the truth lies in the middle somewhere, so it's probably a combo meal. Yeah, yeah, but no, man, I'm uh, I'm doing good, man. Blessed, fortunate, and no family's good. Uh, so I'm just gonna take it like that. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. Well, uh, today we're we're gonna be doing all things Michigan. Um, so we've got. We've actually got some blasphemy to talk about, which which let's let's kick it off with that because uh, there was an Amazon special done on the Michigan Wolverines football team, and Dre, you watched that special, uh, but you just watched that special now, and it came out in 2017. So a behind the scenes look on your team, your football team, and it took you three years to watch it. First. First, before we even get into your thoughts of it, like how does how does that happen? Let, let's talk well, about. It. Well, sure. I mean, I, I don't have. I mean, I have an answer for you. It's just still not going to, you know, absolve <laughs> what I did. But you know, the, the answer, quite frankly, was at the time. Um, you know, I had Netflix, Hulu, um, and I think I was also paying cable at the time too. Uh, so I was just like, I'm not paying. Maybe just a little bit of a. Uh, how can I put this defiance on my part? Like I'm not paying for another streaming service and especially streaming service. That I'm not going to use very much. And so I was like, man, you know, even though it was my school, like my team, I'm like, I'm not paying six ninety nine, which is what it costs now. I don't know what it costs then, you know, just to be able to watch this one time series. And, uh, that's, that so it's partly defiance. And, um, I think that's mostly it. You know, defiance to pay another service. Somebody feel like I was going to, you know, really use. So, yeah, yeah that's kind of why. Um, yeah, that's my answer. Unacceptable, but we sure. will move on. We'll move on. Yeah, um, yeah. What, were so your, know, what were your so thoughts on it? You do know oh. that this All or Nothing series, they also have NFL teams. I'm not sure they have other college teams too, but I'm like, ooh, it's kind of interesting because it's basically hard knocks, but in season, which is actually I'm very, I'm a lot more interested in. So I'm going to start watching like the Dallas Cowboys. I think they had Chiefs on there uh, and kind of see like behind the scenes of in season. Uh, I'm pretty interested in looking at that. Yeah, I've I've seen I've started watching that. I think it, uh, the one I I did watch the Cowboys, um, and then I started watching the one with the Eagles. So I think they pick up the year after the Super Bowl. I think okay, or maybe maybe it's that next year. So it's just Carson. Uh, Wentz, like I don't think Foles was there, so maybe it was two years after the Super Bowl. But it is, it is pretty good. I do like it. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I just like to consume football and info, so YouTube videos and you know stuff like that behind the scene, you know, stuff where you could see real like football and what goes on behind the scenes. I'm, I'm all about it. Right. Um. So yeah, what's your, what were your thoughts on it as far as the, uh, you know, Michigan, uh. 
you know, the, that series for Amazon Prime? Well, um, I have a lot of thoughts on it. On it. Um, and even though it was three years old, over three, well, let's see, 17, 18, 19. Yeah, so it's three seasons old. Uh, there still is a lot to learn about it because we still have a lot of the uh, personnel. Well, uh, some of the personnel is still here. I mean, mainly, of course, Jim Harbaugh, but also Don Brown. And uh, those are two of the most, um, right now, to me, the most pulverizing uh, 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 people in the program right now because on one end, you know, Jim Harbaugh is the, uh, the figurehead. He's the head honcho of the program. So uh, the wins and losses and the direction of the program ultimately falls on him. And also Don Brown is known as this uh, Dr. Blitz, you know, like the mastermind of the Michigan defense and uh, a Michigan defense that statistically every year looks good, but it's because they beat up more on the weaker team. And, <laughs> uh, the few, very, very few really good teams they play against, uh, they get beat by. But, you know, that doesn't show up in the stats where you just look at it from a uh, on-paper <laughs> perspective. So, uh, you know, I just want to see how did they communicate with their players, uh, mainly hardball, and, uh, you know, how does Down Brown, uh, you know, communicate as well. So my, my thoughts on it is I thought Jim Harbaugh was awkward. Uh, <laughs> I thought that he was – I think that he has – diminished as a coach overall because he's too comfortable he's in an area where he has too much control and it's almost believe that it's too much um how can i put this there's there's too much of this uh uh euphoria of being back at michigan wearing a black m uh, hat and khakis and wanting to be like Bo and his father jack and had like this total Michigan way, Michigan man way. And um, that's pretty much what the documentary confirmed for me. You know, how, how does Harbaugh communicate, motivate his players? You know, does he motivate them with entitlement, which, you know, I thought before I watched the series and that was confirmed. He does, you know, saying things like you play for the most uh, winningness, a uh, wing, uh, the, the most, uh, uh, you play for a program that has the most wins in college football. You know, mm-hmm. you say that in every pregame speech, and you say it with authority, you say it with passion, in which you want guys to feel that inside. You want them to feel like you you are the best. You know, you want them to feel like, are you even in moments like you're you're currently playing for the seventh rate team in the country. You want <clears> to <throat> empower them with you are great right now. You know, like and and I think that's uh, a terrible thing to do for uh, particularly kids, eighteen, twenty-two year old kids, because. You know, they don't have the maturity and the focus to be able to compartmentalize what you've done, which what, what what you represent has done well in the past, and maybe how you're doing currently without uh uh losing their focus on keeping their eye on a prize into what you have to do going ahead. And um th- those are like the main things that stuck out to me is that you know, he's not a great speaker, he's not a great motivator, and I don't believe he connects well with his players. Yeah, uh, it we we talked about this earlier this week, and it to me, anytime you bring up something like bring up something like you play for the most winningest program in the, in the history of college football, like th- essentially those players didn't contribute to that. Like they, you know what I mean? Like 
number one, you're already the, the winningest program before, for instance, Rashawn Gary is on that team. Before Rashawn Gary got there, like, so there's nothing Rashawn Gary did that made him play on the team that was the most winningest. You know, it, it, it's not like you contributed 50 wins to that, like as a, as a senior or junior, whatever. And also, too, when you're talking a pregame speech, like the last thing you need to be telling guys that are 18 to 22 years old is how great they are. Like what you need, the, the hope and the focus is you can talk to how great their preparation has been. Like, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it shouldn't be, it should, like it, it shouldn't be just a, a, a pump them up kind of time. Like you want to get them motivated, but like not via entitlement. Like you guys are so great. Like you, you know, done this. Whereas, you know, you, you kind of hope like, Hey, you guys have prepared for this moment. You're ready for this moment. Like that's, that's the, you know, ideally what you'd like to talk to your guys about as opposed to, you know, kind of the, the entitlement that you and I both have been pretty much in lockstep on how we think that Jim Harbaugh recruits and motivates and all that. Um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, I mean, three years ago now, so I'm, I'm kind of, you know, trying to work through my, my memory, but um, it, to me, it showed the difference of just elite championship coaching and culture and preparation. And I don't feel like Jim Harbaugh had that at all. I mean, when I saw that series and, and when I watched it, it was, and I want to be clear, it was very interesting. Like I, I was glued to it. I binged it. Uh, it was maybe a, a weekend. I think I got through it. So it was incredibly entertaining. But when I got done with it, I could see why his teams underperform. I could see why they can't get over the hump. I could see why they can't beat Ohio State. Because to me, the focus isn't the focus isn't there. But they're just not focused on a consistent basis. And a lot of that comes from the head coach. Like it's it's from the top down. Because if your coach is, is focused on the right things, then he can turn his he can focus his motivation and and what he wants the the guys to think about today or tomorrow just with the with the preparation Nick Saban is a is huge with the process that's what he focuses on it's not we want to we want to beat Texas A&M this Saturday the focus is today is Tuesday let's improve from yesterday we were you know a team yesterday on Monday let's be the, that Monday team plus one. Let's be yeah. just better than we were yesterday. We, because if you, you start focusing on Saturday, the only thing that matters is wins and losses. Well, that's a result. That's, that's not, that has nothing to do with your actual preparation. And on top of it, if you're not striving to be the best possible team you can be, well, then that, the result is just you, you have no control over that. Like if I beat Texas A&M, that could be great if I played to my best, but it could be not great. If I played crappy, if we didn't play to our potential, made a ton of mistakes, bad decisions, bad tackling, things like that. Well, if you just focus on the result, you're like, Oh, well, that was a good thing where it's like, well, if we, if depending on what our goals are, it may not be a good thing just to win. Like that's not enough when you're talking championship culture, but uh, it's, you know, it's a tough thing to do. It's tough. I think it shows, why the elite coaches are the way they are is because and, and, and why they're so few is because it's so difficult to do that. 
Yeah, I, I think what the best college coaches can do, as opposed to selling entitlement, is to sell your players on the mindset to make your own mark. Um, all of you individually are important, but what are you going to do? What can you do individually to make your mark and do your job? Because when all of you do your job to your highest uh, ability, then our unified goal is a lot easier to achieve. You know, I, I think those were the best coaches are able to do. You get all your kids focused on the same goal, but you stress the importance of the how each individual has to be constantly working to get better. Everyone can get better from your best players down. And every player should not feel above uh, uh, approach. Uh, every player should feel like, okay, I got to get better at this. I got to get better at this. Now I have to be locked in on this week, getting better, you know, getting off blocks, making certain blocks, making certain throws, coming out of my, my you know, uh, better, uh, making better breaks off my routes, whatever you want to say. And um, I think one thing I took away from watching that document series was, you know, I didn't see like uh, every player um, locked in. I didn't see that. You know, it, it didn't come off like that to me. It, it kind of came off like players were on like this ride. Almost. Like, <laughs> we, played from, we played from Michigan. You know, things are great. You know, we're walking around campus, you know, and it, it just didn't seem like guys, you talk about all the time, like Bama guys, you could tell when they're pissed off. Right, you could you could tell when they come out certain weeks pissed off, and I don't feel like I got that feeling from Michigan from watching that, from watching remember how the season was and also seeing the insides of how that season was. And yeah, keep in mind this is the year right after that they were literally a few inches away of potentially playing, well for sure playing in the Big Ten title game and uh, going to play in the college football playoff. The year before was the 2016 JT Barrett you know, fourth down call, right? So you, you're so close, but I didn't feel a certain amount of energy. Like the Michigan players should have came in, and I don't think they even mentioned that at all during a document series about the Ohio State game, right? Because they're like, oh, we're moving on. That's what they do. We're moving on and it's over. And it's good. You, you got to have guys move on, but that should have been in dr- drilled into those guys' head. You know, they should have been playing with their, with their heads on fire because we're close and we need to you – know, yeah, we're close, and we need to be on another level, right? So I, I, I don't know. Like it, it's just, it they they don't seem organized either. Like Harbaugh also doesn't come off organized to me as a coach. He comes, he runs his program like I think his his head is. He's very, <laughs> he's he's a highly intelligent football. Uh, he's a, I do believe he's a highly intelligent football coach, but I think his personality is really scatterbrained. Like he's real. I feel like honestly, like he's all over the place, and I feel like he runs his program like that. You know, yeah, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, it's 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 very very different. Well, and obviously my comparisons of of Harbaugh, I always go to Nick Saban because that's I love you know Alabama and well, that's a, his that's approach. A I mean, that right. you, you should. I mean, like Saban's one, if not the best, one of the best of all time. So. I, when you compare him to Saban, I think that's fair to do because you want every coach to strive to be like Nick Saban. And most, if all, will fall short. But 
you know, it's a it's 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 not like you're undermeasuring him. You're measuring him to the highest you could possibly be. So I, I think it's okay. Yeah. Well, and I I think the comparison is is very interesting because how you say Jim Harbaugh runs his program kind of like his his thought process. Nick Saban does the same thing, but Nick Saban is so meticulous and so detailed that it's I mean it's it's I mean you could almost it's almost insane like how meticulous he is. Like I've got a couple quick stories and then we can move on to our next topic. But um, there was one reporter and I can't remember if it was Marty Smith or not, but he said that uh, he was doing a story on Alabama and he had to talk with Nick Saban. So he got to, before the interview, he was able to, you know, go to the facility, watch practice and then have the the interview afterwards. And he was going to leave. Well, when he pulled up, he said, Nick Saban's car was, uh, it was one of the, you know, a curbside parking where you're you're kind of angled toward the curb. Um, so not like a parallel parking. But he said Nick Saban's car was face was facing in. So it's as if, you know, Saban's driving and he pulls just directly up to the curb. Um, so, you know, no big deal. Normal parking job. But he said by the time that he left the the you know, the reporter, by the time he left, Nick Saban's car was turned around so he had either a ga or something like that go out and turn his car around so that he didn't have to waste any time on backing his car out and then driving forward like it it was that meticulous like he wanted to be that efficient with his time that he got in the car and just drove forward and just went and left and that's like how that's how he how he is um and then the other quick story was kirby smart like they were they he would talk about you know, when he was on the staff with, with Nick Saban and he was a long time DC for him. But he said that the amount of things that Nick Saban would make the coordinators prepare for was just crazy. Like they would have the normal game plan, like, Hey, this is what we've seen on film. You know, here's how we're going to respond to that. So on and so forth. It, but Nick Saban would take it like five or six steps past that of like, well, what if they do this? And Kirby's like, well, they've never done that. Yeah. But what if they do? Like he, that, that's his preparation. And that's how he gets his, his guys ready that they're going over scenarios, you know, on a Thursday or a Friday that they've never seen teams do just in case they decide, you know, the other team decides to just throw their offense out the window and come in with something totally different and totally new. Like he just wants, that's how his preparation is like, and that's, I, I think that that speaks to his greatness and maybe he is a little bit crazy, but I mean, you know, you don't get to to the amount of national championships and success that that he has by just doing things that everyone else does. Yeah. Do you believe that Jim Harbaugh, when he's teaching, you know, I don't know if you remember, it's been a while since you watched the series, but there's the last episode in preparation for the bowl game against uh, South Carolina. Uh, they basically, because I believe Mason Cole was their starting center. Um, he was a senior, getting ready to gra- graduate. So they were converting a guard. I think his last name is uh, Spangulus or something like that over to center. I think he's like a sophomore. And uh, actually, before they show the scene, Harbaugh talks about the importance of ramping up younger kids, getting them ready for, um, even if they're not needed necessarily to play in terms of where they are on the depth chart, making sure that they're you're constantly working on ways to develop their skill set. So they're ready even when they're not ready. They're ready even even when they're not needed, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, 
it proceeds to show a scene in which him and the officer coordinator, co-officer coordinator, Ty Tendrevno, are showing this kid how to convert to center, how to step a football correctly. And, you know, watching Jim do that, it, it's clear that he understands the game, but I'm not so sure that he is extremely detailed with how he focuses on every positional group. And I worry, you know, I I think it would be cool if he was that hands-on. I feel feel like every head coach like Saban and, and, and Urban Meyer has to be able to make the game easy to understand. You have to be able to simplify the game for these kids because football is hard enough. You already have to deal with physically having to beat your guy across from you every single play. So, and as the the quicker you are, and easier you are able to act and play instinctively, because the concepts have been broken down so simple for you, the, the better off, right? Do you believe that Jim Harbaugh either does a good enough job stressing that or correcting that for his players, or maybe he does and he's not recruiting? guys who are good enough to do it basically no i i think it's i don't think it's he's not recruiting good enough guys because you can't you can't tell me that he's consistently picking guys who you know rivals or tw- or 24 7 just just got wrong like they don't miss that often you know what i mean like so yeah they you know harbaugh consistently has top rated recruiting uh classes i mean i think in the last four years i think you've been either first or second in the big 10 every year uh in you know with recruiting so he's got the talent but from a head coaching standpoint you're you're the ceo of the company so if you're if you're not stressing the right things to your direct managers which who would be your position coaches your offensive coordinators like it's like, it's great that Jim Harbaugh says, yeah, we need to get young offensive linemen reps so that they can be ready even when they're not needed. But does your O-line coach know that? And do you, and do you, do you put into practice the things that you say? So are you saying that in front of the cameras? But then when it comes game time and your O-line coach is like, hey, coach, can I get this guy in? I, I want to get him a couple, you know, some reps. And you're like, no, we're, you know, keep, keep the ones in. You know, I, I don't know, to be frank, but that, you know, that's another part of it where you have to have that consistent messaging and your actions have to speak the same thing to give your the, the to give empowerment to your position coaches to where if my quarterback's not playing well, I have the bandwidth, I have the, the empowerment, I have the decision making power to pull him out because he's playing poorly and it's not I'm not coaching him well enough. These are things we've gone over time and time again he's just not performing well I can't I can't go out there and make the decision for him to throw the football to the right guy like that's that's his fault you know um so that I don't know I I I don't think it's the talent he's got he's got more than enough talented guys uh, in that locker room and he has since the day that he's gotten there so it's not that it's just I think it's it's his focus with with all things, but I, I just think he, like you said, is a, a bit scatterbrained, and I don't think his his focus is is lasered enough to the fine details that it needs to be. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I I can see that. It's just it, it's very peculiar peculiar as I like go back and I you know I watched you know 2015 Bama versus MSU and I'm, I'm watching uh, one of D'Antonio's best MSU teams and I'm like you know how where is the disconnect? You know where are these coaches that Harbaugh at one point in time was looked at as least on par or some even better um, were able to get the most out of their roster. Even programs that have risen and fallen over time, let's say a program like Washington, um, a program like Oklahoma, you know, a program like, you know, um, what's the program being in the mix? Notre Dame's been in the mix. You know, Notre Dame made it to a college, a college football playoff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Georgia, um, you know, <laughs> Auburn. Um, programs that, you know, have, have been really, really close. Some have made it, some have been there. Wisconsin, I would actually think it's a better currently today a better program than Michigan is right now. Um, you know, w- what's the disconnect? You know, what happened? Um, and I-, I don't know if it's – it can't be – I agree with you. It can't be talent. It can't be raw talent because you are recruiting, recruiting for the most part, the same kids these other uh, schools are recruiting. If anything, you you recruited some of the top players in the country in their particular class. But yet when they get to your program, some by transfer or some right out of high school, they are underperforming, you know. And I, I yes, Dan, we, we joked about it with Sean Gary, how the, the docuseries, uh, he, he was a big talker, right? But in terms of his own field play, didn't necessarily match up. But I, I can't say for certain if Sean Gary goes to play for Clemson or if he goes to play at Bama, does he not become a better player? And I have to believe, based on track record, that he does. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to it's hard to think otherwise. It's just you know, it, and and then if we, if that's the case, okay, your player development is terrible. When okay, maybe that's unfair. Your player development is not where it needs to be, which is a huge, huge part of being a college football coach. You know, development is everything. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and then. The way you're motivating, which is really important for young kids, especially at a time where they're not mature enough to be, you know, completely self-motivated all the times they should be because they have a lot of distractions. Um, you're not good at that either. Always hit us in the piercing. <laughs> so then what are you good at? You know, let me ask you this. What can we say Jim Harbaugh is definitively good at? Uh, I would probably say recruiting. Is he defensively better than Brady Hoke at recruiting? Uh, <laughs> Close, huh? Because, I mean, all right, so did Brady Hoke recruit the number one player in their in a class? No. That, Harbaugh did that. Regardless of how he turned out, Rashawn Gary was ranked uh, the guy. Number one player. Yep. The guy. Number one player in the class. But Brady Hoke did recruit guys who were ranked pretty high. I mean, look. He was a bust. Derrick Green was a huge bust, but Derrick Green was a five-star running back. He was the number one running back coming out that year. Yes. Oddly enough, wanted... above Derrick Henry, which is so crazy to think about. They were in the same class? I'm pretty sure they were. I might be wrong, but... Oh, that'll be absolutely disgusting. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Can you imagine? <laughs> we get that. Say, say you guys take... Uh, take You probably to get both, actually, just because of how it works, but you get Derrick Green. We, we got the wrong Derrick. You get Derrick Green, <laughs> we get Derrick Henry. And Derrick Henry probably turns out to be a bust. Derrick Green probably becomes a stud. But anyway, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so Brady Hope got the top running back in, in, in a particular class. I mean, Brady Hope recruited Devin Gardner. Regardless of how it turned out, Devin Gardner was ranked the number one dual threat quarterback in his class. Not necessarily number one QB, but number one dual threat. Yeah. Which in today's game would have been probably made him the number one overall quarterback, just based on diversity. Because at the time, the spread wasn't uh, all over the all over college football, but nowadays Devin Gardner, with the skill set that he had coming out of college, high school, he probably would have been number one or number two at least, right? Yeah, for sure. Six four. But my my point is that I don't know if we can say definitively that Harbaugh is a great recruiter. At least maybe an upgrade over well, coach. I your your question was what is he good at definitively? Okay, right. Good point. Good point. No, I I wouldn't say he's a great recruiter. No, I wouldn't say that, but. Yeah. I would, you know, I, uh, I mean, I, I took a, you know, semantics. You said good, so I, I went with that. But if you ask him, what is he great at? I don't really think anything. I don't think he's great at anything. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, okay, well, before let's do let's let's play a little game here. Let, let me, I'll name uh, four other coaches, and then I want you to just name. You don't have to do a huge list, but just give me a few things you think they're good at. Okay, uh, let's say. You know what? I'm gonna throw a curveball at you. How about uh, now? I know I can picture his face, but I can't say his name. Uh, Where does he coach? Northwestern. Uh, uh, Pastor Fitzgerald. Pastor Cheryl. I think I'll go first. I think Pat Fitzgerald for where he coaches at uh, is a good recruiter based on the standards mm-hmm. that he has to has to meet to get guys to get in there. Uh, I think he's a good recruiter for where he's at. I think he's a great, a really good to great motivator. Uh, and I think he's really good at player development. Northwestern, Northwestern was in the Big Ten title. <laughs> okay. I know. Oh, man. So, it's, and Jim Harbaugh hasn't been there. That's I know, tough. I know. That so, is tough. Let me uh, I, and I'm in, I'm in lockstep with you on, on that because I was literally going to say those exact things. And and really, I I like to give a little more credit. I would say he's great at those three things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because people don't understand. I I don't really people. I think Pat Fitzgerald is the most. I can't say it's a ton of coaches in college football, but he's one of the most underrated guys in the game because of where he coaches at. If that guy coaches at a pop, like a big time school like Man. USC. Or uh, I don't know, dude. Like, hey, it, it, put him down somewhere in like Texas. Put him in Texas a and Put him at Texas. Pat Fitz at, at Pat Fitz at te- uh, Texas. Oh my God! You know, like, it, yeah, it, he's fantastic, right? But he doesn't get the shine that because of where he coaches at. But okay, so we're in lockstep there. Yep. So, uh, so who's the uh, Wisconsin coach? Uh, uh, Paul Chris. Paul Chris. Yep. So I would say Paul Chris. Once again, he's a, a good recruiter. Um, he, he, he tends to just find running back. He, like, Wisconsin recruits running backs like they can be. Like, they, they always <laughs> have really good college running backs. But he's a really good recruiter. I think he's a good recruiter. I think he's a good motivator. Motivator, and the reason why I say that is because his teams every year are consistent. Yeah. Every No matter who the players are, they're consistent, and they play the same style uh, tough-minded football, and uh, so what? That's motivator. That's recruiter. And what was the other aspect of it? 
uh it's uh, just their style like kind of it, which it's funny but I, I one of the big things that stuck stuck out to me for Chris was identity like just knowing yeah. who you are yeah right exactly I know who exactly I am and and he's one of he's one of the few coaches that that does get guys to fit his system like he's not a he's not a I'm gonna just get the best guys here yeah. and then we're gonna fit our system to those guys he's a I know exactly what I want to do it's this uh and it may not have have resulted in any actual like big 10 championships but he's been to Indy I think multiple times um and they're he's they're playing it. at a high level you know um I'm pretty did, sure they've won it one year no or maybe they've got they've been there I was gonna say because he's been there for I think five or five years maybe I don't think they've they've won it, but he's been. I mean, they've been there. I think twice in the you know five six years he's been there. Um, but yeah, it's it's the it's identity is probably the the thing that he is great at because you know what Wisconsin's going to do? They're going to run the ball. Uh, they're going to play good defense, and they're going to just try to wear you down and and see where they're at in the fourth quarter, and just hope they keep you know keep pounding it and keep you know keep gashing you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that's two coaches who are his peers, right? And I think Harbaugh makes more money than both of them, by the way. But, um, you know, who's, you know, and we're not being, like, biased. I, I think we're being totally fair. Mm-hmm. But, it, and, you know, I, I, so Paul, Chris, you know, Pat Fitz, uh, you know, okay, fine. Let's let's go here. Let's be fair. How about, how about, how about Lane Kiffin? He is now a head coach, I believe, at Ole Miss. Um, I would say, I would say, recruiting. He is. uh, I'd say he's a really good recruiter, possibly great. And I would say his offensive mind is elite. Like he, that's that's Kiffin. Um, Those those are the two things I would I would go to with uh, with the with the Lane train. I, I would agree with you. The, the only downside to Kiffin is that he he tends to have like a mess all the time with his program. So I mean, like, like there's always something, right? It's never just clean. I, I guess clean's the wrong word to use. Like it's it, it's he's he's getting better. He's getting better now. Tennessee, USC, Oakland, uh, you know, Raiders. was a disaster. Yes, yeah. all of all of the above was a disaster. But in uh, when he was at uh, is it FIU FAU. Yeah, FAU. When he was there, I mean, they, they, he was, I mean, it, his biggest issues were just like social media, but like it was tweeting and trolling people, like he, Alabama included. Um, so I, I mean, I'm not really gonna knock him for it. Like, it, that's your style. Cool. I'm sure 17 year old kids like that and laugh at it and all that good stuff. So I, I mean, I'm not gonna kill him. And then also, too, I think he won, if not one, I know for sure he won one conference title. I think he might have won two. So it, I mean, he's he's. I think the two years that he uh, coached FAU definitely will help um, him in kind of his maturity and and things like that. And I think his stint at Alabama helped him a good amount too. So, I how about think, James Franklin? So James Franklin, ooh. you know, look, fantastic, great, <clears throat> recruiter, great recruiter. Uh, his in-game management. Not so much, um, and I would say he's a, he does a really good job in creating uh, an identity and a culture at Penn State. You know, people the 
the, the big knock <laughs> on James Franklin is people think that his in-game management is terrible. And that may be the case. But he's great at two other things that are extremely important. And that is getting high-caliber talent into his program, right? And then also creating an ad- identity uh, and a culture uh, within his program. Uh, Penn State's a really good program. You know, yeah. they're top 10, top 15 every year. They put in, uh, they have NFL players every year. Um, so he's done he, – those are two big boxes you can check for him as well. Yeah, I, I would agree. And the thing that I would um, be – the interesting thing is the way Franklin took over Penn State is how the hardcore Michigan slappies – think that Harbaugh took over Michigan like sanctions yeah dumpster fire like we have limited scholarships like we almost don't have a chance and I want I mean how quick was that after Franklin got there was Penn State did they win the Big Ten I mean that they won in 2016 um they won in 2016 um trying to think I, I feel like I have to go back and see when did Franklin take over for um, what's well, his name escaped from me O'Brien yeah uh, O'Brien yeah he was a disaster I think uh, it was 13, 14. Franklin took over in fourteen so it was two years right fourteen fifteen <laughs> so two wow. years yeah and, and mind you and mind you winning in two thousand sixteen at the time you still had to deal with uh, Ohio State with Urban Meyer in their prime. You had to deal with Michigan. Uh, you had to deal with uh, uh, Michigan State, uh, Wisconsin. So, uh, yeah, he did that. You know, And, and mind you, re- remember, that was the same year Michigan uh, beat Penn State 49-10. to 10. And people thought, wow, Penn State's just not that good. And they went on a hot streak. They yep. won like eight or nine games that season. That says a lot about a coach keeping his guys focused and getting better throughout the season, right? Yep. To win the Big Ten title, right? So think about this. Michigan, Penn State beats, gets destroyed by a team and then leaps them without playing them again and wins the Big Ten title. So, I mean, yeah, it's – I guess the we can do this all day, you know. Like, there's a lot of coaches where it's like you could think of, like, who are – "Quote unquote," either by salary or by name re- name recognition, that are Harbaugh's peers that you can check boxes and say they do this well, this well, this great, this great. But it's not a lot you can say for Jim Harbaugh, and that's being that's being close and here and seeing it all the time. Like I would give the guy, I want to give the guy guy credit for something, but I can't. I can't. Yeah. It's tough, it's tough man. man. Yeah, it is. It's very yeah, tough. I mean, you guys, say, I mean, look, <clears throat> Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart, defensive coordinator for Saban for years. He leaves, goes to Georgia, and elevates a Georgia program. Georgia was already a good program. Mm-hmm. Georgia has won nine, ten games. Uh, had the number one overall pick in the NFL, Matthew Stafford. Recruited well for years. Recruited A.J. Green. Recruited Geno Atkins. They've always had great players at Georgia before Kirby Smart got there. He gets there and takes them from what a B plus program, maybe an A minus program, to an A A plus program, somewhere in that nature, right? Yep. How hard is that? Right. <laughs> That's very hard. 
Uh, and it, it's funny you mentioned that because that actually takes me to what I wanted to, to get into a little bit. Sure. Um, was essentially the recent history. If you so put yourself in Athens, Georgia, uh, you like to wear Georgia colors, you're a Georgia fan. And just in the last eight years, so let's go to December 2012. Uh, it is the SEC championship game, number two, Alabama, number three, Georgia. Aaron this, Murray. Uh, yep, Aaron Murray. And a, set, a lot of people call this essentially the de facto national championship game. Yeah. Um, anyway, you know, obviously, you know how the story goes. It was a very close game towards the end of the uh, game if that ball doesn't get tipped. Uh, you know, Georgia's got a shot to win that game very, very late. Um, from there, Alabama goes on to the national championship. They play LSU, I believe, if that's the right year. Um, win a national championship. So let's go from there to October 3rd, um, 2015, Alabama versus Georgia. I believe that is like the second game of the SEC season for Alabama. Um, I can't remember if Georgia had a game there already, but at this point, Alabama has lost to Ole Miss and is basically their season is just holding on on the brink. Um, and they come out, it was rainy. They had a really good game. They beat Georgia 38 to 10. At that time, Alabama was ranked number 13. Georgia's number eight. We'll, we'll move on to January 8th, 2018. Obviously, we know that is the national championship game, Georgia versus Alabama. Uh, Alabama wins on literally a last second, or I'm sorry, a second and 26 throw. Mm -hmm. Um, Win the game, win the national championship, but Georgia was literally on the brink of winning the national championship there. Also, last one I want to get to is December 1st, 2018. uh, Alabama number one, Georgia number four. That's the SEC championship once again. Uh, That game gets Alabama into the college football playoff. Um, and in that game, if I'm not mistaken, I think Alabama might have been down 21-0 or 14-0, and Kirby goes for the odd um, punt fake with yep. Justin Fields as the upback. Um, but nonetheless, in those games there, I just talked about four games, not even assuming uh, you know that, that Georgia's going to win any of the national championships outside of 2018, um, they – I mean – Essentially, they took, what is that, three? Three just shots at a national championship. One of the games was one. So at least one ring there that Alabama directly took from Georgia, potentially two other shots at the to, to get a crack at the national championship. Uh, now, taking this to Michigan, if Ohio State does is not in the way, say for whatever reason the last – Let's start at 2012. Since 2012 and moving forward till now, if Ohio – say Michigan beats Ohio State every one of those years, where does – where is Michigan? How many shots at a national championship could you potentially say that, that Michigan missed because of Ohio State, that Ohio State took directly from Michigan? Uh, right away, I can say two. Right away, uh, 2016 uh, – and then 2018, uh, because 2016, it was, uh, I believe, two versus three. Um, both teams were undefeated in the Big Ten. Uh, so, obviously, 
both would have, whoever won that game goes on to play the Big Ten title game. Uh, and they were easily the two best teams in the conference that year. Um, and then 2018, I believe uh, it was also two versus five or two versus four. Basically, Michigan is in, at the point at that point in time was on their way to uh, whoever won those two games were going to the Big Ten title game. Yeah, so I'm I'm pulling it up now. Yeah, 18. It was actually Ohio State was 10. Michigan was number four. Oh, so Michigan was ahead of Ohio State. Oh, right. You know what? I think that's the year Ohio State lost to Iowa. Yep, they, they had that bad loss to Iowa. So yeah, so okay, yeah. So in both both situations, Michigan were at that time if the college football playoff would have started, they were in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's an easy answer in terms of they were in the path to win a championship so i say twice yeah that's i mean that's that's something when you really think about it that you know a, a team i mean but i think that that speaks to the how small the margin of error is when it comes to college football and trying to win a national championship like they literally like there's a you know one or two teams that you just can't lose to like it you know what i mean like those opportunities you can't you can't mess them up. You can't lose them. And, you know, I mean, in the, literally the last four years, if, if I told you, hey, Dre, Michigan made two Final Fours, you'd be ecstatic with that, as any program would. Like, yeah, I don't absolutely. care who you are, you know. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's crazy to think that's how close, you know, Michigan and, and Jim Harbaugh was to, to getting there. But close is the main thing, you know. It, it, it's, you know, and I, don't know I, I know you're not saying that, but, you know, because, like, I get kind of I get really touchy with that because for years and it's taken a while to get Michigan fans past this point. It's like, well, we're we're so close, you know, we're inches away from being in the Big Ten title game, and that was something that some Michigan fans who were hardball defenders were used to, to say, yeah, but we're so close, you know, give them time, we're close, we're close, we're close, and where and you know you don't get paid to be close, you get paid to get it done, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, um, but I mean, I, I you, can't it's solace in that. I can't because sports is not about that. It's not about uh, ifs and buts and you know candy and nuts, whatever they say. You know, it's about. <laughs> I've never heard sports. that saying. I've never. Heard well, that. you heard it now. So you know, it, it's it, it, it's about you know what that final box score says, and so I can't. I, I don't take any solace in that because you know, you know what happens, especially when you lose close games. There was something that you probably did in terms of mistakes that led to it being that close. Yeah. You know, in 2016 game, you're throwing a play action pass on the, the freaking two yard line, right? Right before the end of the half that leads to a pick six. You know what I'm saying? Do you know whose fault that, that was? I've that wa- was, I've watched that I've watched that play so many times. That yes, was I know for uh, Dev, Devion Smith missing a block. Yes. Your senior running that. back not understanding pass protection. I get that uh, you should have threw it right there. You should have ran the football. You should have ran the football. but the guy was open like that's the crazy part like if he if he gets if he if davion smith makes that block and he gets that throw like you're in business right now like you're 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 in business yeah i i I get it but you know it's and i I can't ask you the 2018 you know i'm sorry yeah you may have been close when the game started but you damn sure wasn't close when the game ended (laughs) because you got you got uh, what was that? 60, 60 uh, yeah, sixty-two thirty-nine. Okay, yeah. When you get beat, when you a team puts sixty-two points on that head, 
you know, I'm just gonna say when they put 62 points on that ass, and you you probably didn't deserve to be number four in the country anyway. Let's just keep it real. So, uh, it, it's um, you gotta get out of that man coverage, man. Gotta get yeah. out of that. Ugh. So it, it's you know, it's also the exclamation point too, there, especially in 2018. Was like, yeah, you were close, but man, are, were you really close? Like to get beat that bad. To me, for a highest team, that probably wasn't even that good compared to previous years. You know, like it. Oh, like I, I don't know, man. It, it's it, it's it's also the and then it's also you know nothing with Harbaugh's teams is not only just losing, it's being destroyed. <laughs> and so many embarrassing performances, dude. At wideout at Penn State, getting destroyed in 2017. Now last year they were competitive. They came back in the game, but the first half they got they were getting beat pretty good. You know, it's go how many times you gonna go to Wisconsin and get your head kicked in, right? You know how many times you gonna play Ohio State and get your head kicked in? You know, it, it's different when it's when if you're fighting, your team is falling short. That'll be frustrating too. But it's nothing when your team doesn't look like they belong on the same field with schools that you're supposed to be at the same level with. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's that's tough. Um, one thing I will say, though, only in the Big Ten does it matter so much what the, the, what the home fans wear. Like, this, this, this notion of this Penn State whiteout being an impossible play, and you didn't mention that, but, it, but you saying that, like, made me think about, um, uh, actually, a, a, a colleague of mine, Corey, is a big Michigan fan, but it just, you know, the 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 Penn State whiteout. Like I, I think I think it's just a mental thing. Like for like because people talk about it so much, and they like, oh, this it's a Penn State whiteout. It's tough to play there. And I think sometimes you can psych yourself out to the point where like you you make it hard to play. You know what I mean? Like you're just psyching yourself into the atmosphere. It's like I don't I don't know. Maybe I'm just a little. A little different, but look, yeah, I'll say this, and then we, yeah, we can wrap it up here soon. Um, you know, uh, it, it's 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 a difficult place to play. I mean, Ohio State has lost there too, and they've almost lost another time. Uh, James Franklin probably makes better decisions, but it, it's it, it's overblown because it's like people say, "Oh, like it's impossible to win there." That's how they hype it up, but it is a challenge, you know. But is it like is it so much of a challenge that it's different. Let me put it this way: playing a, a lot, any team going on the road, for the most part, in a a school that has a pretty good fan base, it's going to be challenging. It's challenging to go in Camp Randall at night. Okay, it's challenging to go at uh, I don't know what's Hawkeye State. Is it Hawkeye Stadium? But Iowa Iowa plays. It's challenging to play at Iowa at night. It's challenging to play at Mississippi State at night with all those cowbells that you hear. Okay. It's challenging to play. I've seen Alabama lose at Mississippi State. It happens, right? When did you so, see that? Then y'all lose at Mississippi. <laughs> then y'all lose. When you see that? When? Man, yeah. this you you talking years? It's been a long time since we didn't lost at Mississippi State. Long okay. time, long okay. time. You ain't, right, you ain't well, seen that. You ain't seen that. Cor- thanks for the correction. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> uh, I see you lose at Ole Miss. Okay, uh, I've yep. seen that. Okay, yeah. So. Um, which is not a program that's not necessarily on your level in terms of consistency. So my point is, is that in college football, playing on the road is tough in general. So I guess that could be an overstatement for the whiteout. 
Yeah. They, Michigan fans, y'all got to get over that. Just forget that. I don't care nothing about no whiteout. I don't care if they wear white, blue, yellow. We coming in and dominate. We don't have to worry about this year. You know, most likely they're, they're probably not going to be much of a whiteout this year. <laughs> so it's going to be uh, mano a mano. Oh, um, yeah. So you guys are at Penn State this year or no? Or they actually, were... we're, at, we're at home this year. So, okay. Uh, um, you know, and that's nothing too. But, but this year's going to be a little bit of an anomaly. But, you know, anyway, the point is, is that get your guys focused, take care of business. And, but the problem is this, I think six years in, going into year six, I've seen a five-year sample size. And it, it, it doesn't take the best coaches five years to turn a program around to get them to their max potential, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the trajectory of the Michigan program has been a roller coaster. And that's not the sign of a great coach. A great coach gets a program on an upward trajectory, and then they hit a certain point where they keep it consistent at that level, right? Um, and they don't make it a roller coaster, you know? Oh, man, well, we have a dip. You have younger guys. Yeah, you figure out. you figure it out, right? You know, <laughs> how, how many grads, how many transfers are you going to take a quarterback? When are you going to actually start a quarterback that you recruited fresh into a season and, and go from there? Well, and also, too, like you, you, it's different if you're Lincoln Riley and you've gotten three in a row, but you hit home runs with the guys, you know, where yeah. they, they are either winning the Heisman Trophy or coming pretty darn close, but making it to a Final Four every year. He's an anomaly, though. He's such an offensive Lincoln. genius. He's such an offensive genius that, um, you know, he's going to, he, he he's the type of guy that he his offense. He's he's such a great offensive mind that he's able to take what your strengths are and basically make you just. He he calls plays that allow you to be successful. It's really hard to be a bad quarterback with Lincoln Riley. I believe that. Here are here's two things I will give you that is probably not very promising for Jim Harbaugh or Lincoln Riley. Number one for Jimmy, I think if I'm not mistaken, but I I saw a stat somewhere that if a coach, a coach who has not won either the conference or a national championship in their first, I want to say five years that it hasn't been done yet. Like it usually happens within that time or it does not happen. Um, And for Lincoln Riley, I do not remember since the I want to say 2000 there hasn't been a head coach that's won a national championship that was a play caller so those are two very interesting things I don't I don't know that there's call you know a reason for it like with Lincoln Riley I don't know if it's just there's not a enough focus on the other side of the ball because as we both know Oklahoma's defense is just embarrassing but their offense is elite, but I, I don't think you can be you, – you just can't – you're not going to be able to win a championship that way. Um, but, you know, wanted to, wanted to drop those, uh, those nuggets before he wrapped up. So, Lincoln better give up those play-calling duties. No, I'm just kidding. He's, Go ahead. Further he, submit, <laughs> submit the, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, the odds of me ever experiencing that. <laughs> You know, I'm watching, you know, 2015 MSU versus Bama, and I'm just like, man – just even though I know how the game turns out for MSU, it's just like how fun is that? Just before the excitement, the yeah. excitement, like the weeks leading after the conference title game, you know you're in, and the 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 weeks of just excitement, just I can't wait, you know. And then the day comes, and you know you have your platter set out, 
if you're at a party to watch it, because I'm sure if Michigan, especially here, if Michigan makes it, you know you're going to have you and parties for the game, most likely, or somewhere to watch it. Or if not, you have a perfect platter at home with plenty of beer and the excitement that day waking up on New Year's Day or whenever the game is, and you're like, okay, I can't wait. And then as the game gets closer and closer, you get more locked in, you get more excited, and then you got kickoff, right? You see the team, and it's just, I'm like, man, how cool is that? And unfortunately, I don't think I ever will see it. <laughs> well, you know, just just switch that that t-shirt for uh, you know a crimson quarter zip, and and you you'll be ready to go. You do got some sharp Bama gear, man. I will say that. You know, it is some sharp Bama gear, like that pullover you got. The white pullover is pretty pretty cool. So I don't know, maybe I should. I, I get it. I get it from the. It, it goes from the top down. Coach Saban dressed sharp. I got to do the same. <laughs> all right well you know people thanks for listening it's another episode of drain dance and that's it we're done take care man see you